<laughs> Are we even ready to do this? Or do we have an intro? Um, do we need an intro? That's a good discussion. Should we say I play the oboe? Is that unnecessary? That is unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to introduce ourselves every time and then we say something silly? Like about ourselves? That's fun! Hello, I'm Elena and I have a split uvula. What? I do. What does that mean? Ew, look at that. I know, it's a real big dangly thing. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, well, my name's Casey, and if we're sharing personal things about our mouth, then I can do the clover thing with my tongue. Show the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> that looks pretty good. Uh, doing it, I can't do anything like that. It's genetic. All right, in today's episode, we're going to be doing a chapter study from the Music Teaching Artist Bible, Becoming a Virtuoso Educator, and the author of this book is Eric Booth. Remember in the first episode when I forgot the name of the most important book ever and the history of the most important person who wrote the book? Yes. So we also talked about how this podcast is going to keep us accountable. So here we are doing a chapter study, staying accountable, refreshing our memories, and also teaching you about what we love to do. It's also been a while since I have read this book because we read it for that first class I took in my master's mm -hmm. study, which has now been three years ago, which is hard to believe. Yeah. But just going back and reading the book, even this first chapter has been super enlightening. We thought it would be helpful to just go over what a teaching artist is, which is the first chapter of this book. Okay, so let's dive in. First of all, I love this little subtitle, Becoming a Virtuoso Educator. I mean, no one talks about virtuosity as far as teaching goes. That's a good point. I never thought about that. I, that always stuck out to me. So let's get started on the first chapter. The first thing I highlighted, Eric Booth says, part of me hopes there will never be a consensus definition for a practice so varied and dynamic. Ooh, I like What that. do you think of that? It's hard to describe teaching artistry because it can go into so many different disciplines. It can be something that a theater person does, which is where Eric Booth is coming from, a background in the theater, or it could, uh, teaching artists could be actual art teachers who do visual arts and are trying to invite people into their world. Uh, it could be musicians, um, which this book is specifically aimed towards musicians instead of just general teaching artistry and how musicians can introduce uh, people into the music world, there's all sorts of teaching artistry, and I think that's why no one discipline can determine exactly what it's called. One of my favorite things that he talks about in the beginning part of this chapter is clarifying the difference between art and entertainment. He goes on to explain what distinguishes entertainment is that it happens within what we already know. It's a response to whatever is being presented to us. Mm -hmm. However, art, on the other hand, happens outside of what we already know. Yeah, it's more challenging. You know, you can go to a movie mm -hmm. and you know how a rom-com is going to go. But if you go to an indie festival, that's going to be way different of an experience. Yeah, I think this example, and I'm just going to read this whole paragraph because this, this example is really good. Mm -hmm. So quote, for example, imagine three people sitting next to one another listening to a late Beethoven string quartet. One is having a life transforming artistic experience as she enters that musical world, expanding her grasp of what the human heart and spirit can contain and the depths to which such knowledge can be expressed. 
The man next to her is having a very entertaining evening, enjoying the beauty of the music, admiring the way the ensemble works together, drifting off to think about some problems at work, thinking how cute the violinist is, but coming back to relax in the beauty of the occasion. The next guy over was dragged there by his wife, hates the event, and is getting nothing out of the music. The same musical offering becomes a work of art, a piece of entertainment, or an ordeal, based on the individual's capacity to create personal, relevant connections inside the music. And those internal skills determine the difference between art and entertainment every bit as much as the music that's being played. Mm-hmm. And then I love this next quote. We can't label something art just because the expert says it is. So, and I think about our conversation about going to an orchestra concert from before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody, Beethoven is big right now, 250th birthday. Okay, Beethoven 3, the Eroica Symphony. It's a big deal. The first time we heard it, amazing, got chills, just like the first person sitting listening to this late Beethoven string quartet here, right? It's amazing. But it's programmed all the time. So now it becomes entertaining because we know what to expect. And it's like, oh my god, the Eroica Symphony, I have to go to that. Or we just don't go because we know it's going to be the third guy. It's going to be like we're dragging ourselves there just because it's the Eroica Symphony and we should hear it because it's a big deal. So, going back to, we can't label something art just because the expert says it is, that art, that quote, art of Beethoven 3, is art sometimes, and sometimes it's not art, because we've already experienced it once. That's why orchestras need to program more new music so we can have more new experiences. And that's my rap. <laughs> Are you ready for what I'm about to say? Mic drop! No, yeah. no, here we go, because I'm like... I'm taking, I'm taking like the complete opposite of what you're gonna of what you just wow, said. Wow. Okay. Good. <laughs> I'm thinking the first time I heard, well, I, I connect more with the the pastoral symphony, so I'm gonna use that example. I mean, Eroka is fantastic and whatever, but I actually have a CD of the pastoral, and I would play it in my car, and whenever I would get in the car, I would hear it. So I I listen to it a whole lot, and. I have to say that, and I've played it before, too, and when I played it in in the symphony, I was like, that was when I, I, when we first passed it out and first played through it, that was the first time that I had heard it. This was back in, like, undergrad when we played it, and, um, and I thought, ah, this is whatever, it's kind of boring, it just sounds like Beethoven on a lot of scales, whatever, um, and I was playing second bassoon as well. I'm sure if I was playing first bassoon and had all the solos, I would enjoy it more. But mm-hmm. that's another discussion. Um, and then I got the CD and I started listening to it more. And then I, I read a little bit about it and I was like, oh, that's it's mm-hmm. programmatic. It's like got this whole thing going along with it that he wants you to be thinking about. And that's kind of unusual for Beethoven mm-hmm. to have done. And so I was like, oh, I'm kind of into this. This is cool. And now I'm like, oh, I love that, that mm-hmm. one. I have like a personal connection to it. I want to hear it all the time. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm so glad that they're playing like X thing because that's what I know and love. Right? Yeah, and now you connect with it. I love that. And that's then, two examples of the opposites. I think they really do um, capitalize on people already having personal connections to music, and that's why they redo 
so many things. And that's why the same people go. I mean, there's like, what, three or three to five years worth of repertoire that they cycle through? And then every three yeah, years they do many, the same thing? How many centuries have we been playing music? Yeah. Yeah. But did. how about draw them in and then program something different alongside of it? It's all about drawing new audiences to your art. And as teaching artists, we're trying to show these new audiences how they can find those personal connections and decide on their own if it's art or entertainment. Yeah, and it can be both. Exactly. Also in this chapter, he talks about the idea of this made-up number, he admits, and he says 80% of what you teach is who you are. And he says to look back at all the um, teachers that you had that inspired you to change the direction of your life. You know, good teachers can pass down what they want you to know, and that's helpful information. But if you really look back on who inspired you to make a big change in your life... It wasn't just what they were teaching, it was who they were as a person mm -hmm. that also inspired you. Yeah. I think about my piano teacher when I was young and how I would always look up to her. I always thought it was so cool that she was able to teach piano lessons and that was her job. I still think that's cool that I can teach piano lessons and make money doing that because it, I take it for granted now knowing how to read music and play it and, and everything. But I always looked up to her not just because she was my piano student, or my piano teacher, but because of all the other things that, like, who she was as a person. She was always uh, so warm to all of her students. She always wanted to really get to know all of her students. Uh, we had lessons at her house, so she always had, um, she put her Christmas tree up at Christmas time, and you just really got to know who she was as an, as an individual. I mean, also, I took lessons with her for, like, 18 years, so that probably <laughs> helped <laughs> as well. But then even comparing different different teachers that I had throughout college, the ones that resonated more with me were the ones that I, I guess, could see myself being or mm -hmm. wanted to be. Yeah. Is that what he's saying here? That 80% of, of what you teach is who you are as a teaching artist? Yeah, and I mean, I think it's even more basic than we're trying to make it because, you know, as you, if you're an older sibling, you're always told like, well, you have to be an example for the younger sibling or, you know, as a parent, you have to be a good example. And I think it's the same thing as just as a teacher, you have a responsibility because you're shaping so many people's lives, especially as a art teacher, whatever your art is, you're shaping a lot of different aspects of people's lives and how they view the whole world. And that's a huge responsibility. And I think, you know, being able to put your personality into it is the whole point of art and how you view it from different angles, how you can inspire people to view it from different angles. How you can inspire people to view it from angles that you never thought of. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not the new you're, perspective that you're coming up with. Mm -hmm. You're inspiring the new perspective. Exactly. You're inspiring them as an individual to think like an individual. You're giving them permission to do that, whereas I don't think that happens very often in our daily lives, you know, where we have to follow basic civilized structures, and especially if you're in school, you have to do your homework a certain way, for the most part, you know. Yeah, I remember one of the classes at CMU that I was so excited about was that once I really got to know this teacher uh, in the way that they assigned assignments, 
I'm like, wait, this teacher is intentionally not giving out specific requirements for what they want because they want to see what, like, what I'm going to come up with. And the point of the assignment isn't to ask all these questions on getting it right or getting it wrong. It's just, like, do something. Come up with something. It's that mm-hmm. platform. I don't know if that's what he's talking about here, but that's what you, what I, you made me think of. <laughs> I mean, I think so. And then, again, going back to the being inspired to change the direction of your life. That's a big deal. I kind of want to make a list of people who inspired me to change directions and then like write their name down and write the direction they inspired me to go. Yeah. I think that's a fun little project. That would be. I like that. I, yeah. Everyday heroes. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're cheesing it up. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, people who aren't intentionally being teaching artists they're still doing that with the way they approach education. Exactly. And now we just want to be intentional about mm-hmm. that in our So teaching. we can be better at it, and it, so it can become more natural for us. Mm-hmm. Another quote I really like on page 15 says, Teaching artistry is the most challenging to develop in music, partly because it's so opposed to the predominant ways the artists have been trained for so long, and partly because it confronts tr- traditions of the discipline. What do you think about that? I deal with that daily because never have I thought that being a musician would require me to do so much public speaking, especially as a person who uh, is not naturally gifted at public speaking or speaking at all. (laughs) So yeah, you go to a concert and usually, or a recital and, you know, the musician or the conductor comes out, they play the piece, claps, they go backstage, then they come back out. And it's like, it's kind, of, it's kind of funny that you go backstage in between pieces, even though it's the same thing that's going to be happening. <laughs> Isn't that funny to think about? Yeah. But yeah, so usually there's no addressing the audience. And you kind of are told when you're young to pretend they're not even there. Oh, yeah. When we're trained as young musicians, you're, you're told pretend the audience isn't there, right? And you perform your piece, you take your bow, and then you leave. The traditional symphony model is that same way, where the performer performs, the audience accepts, claps, (laughs) and then the um, concert is over. However, there are now pre-concert lectures, which Mm -hmm. I think is starting to address the need of the audience to connect with the art. However... If you're talking about a symphony, then you're only really talking about one musician. Only the conductor gives that lecture. The individual musicians on the stage, not that they don't know the information the conductor is is saying, but they're not the ones individually connecting with their audience. And they're not the ones who are in the hot spot to describe and explain their art. They're it's more like all they have to focus on is playing the music as beautifully as possible. I don't want to say anything negative about that because that is definitely a huge aspect of why they're even there in the first place because they're able to put their energy into that focused world as well. However, I do think that it creates this, like like the quote says, it confronts traditions of the discipline and that is a huge part of the discipline is the performer performs and that's all they're expected Mm -hmm. to do and if you do anything else then there's I think this taboo of if you're doing anything besides performing then you're putting focused energy into something else besides making it the best performance ever if you're taking time to have these 
interactive elements or something uh, like like we do in our concerts it almost seems like it took you so long to come up with that whole activity that you did with us why weren't you using that time to practice like don't you think that like did you do a perfect performance if not then why did you waste time trying to come up with an activity like a third thing when all you're supposed to do as an artist is do your art you Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying yeah and it's like then you're looked down on. I I feel well, this sometimes. It's like, well, why why weren't you in the practice room longer? Why were you wasting your time doing that instead of I don't know making and it perfect? And remind me to get back to that because okay, I you have a thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in general, as if we're orchestral, traditionally orchestral musicians, it's scary to be singled out as a personal musician or performer. Like that becomes more personal. My point is that being a teaching oh, artist okay. confronts okay. traditions and one of the traditions is that the performer just performs. So going back to your point of it seems like it takes away from the art, let's just draw from our own experiences. Do you think that's true? Taking the time yeah. to create these interactive elements, does that take away from, I don't know, your preparation of the piece? I don't Eric? think I've ever given a perfect performance. Well, but I don't know ever, if I ever will. That. Yeah, no matter how much thinks. no matter how much time I I spend in the practice room, I don't think it's ever going to be perfect. But but Eric um Eric Booth argues and I would agree that taking the time to dive deeper into your art and make it accessible for audiences connects you to it personally even more. And if you're just there making sure everything is in place. And if you use your art to demonstrate what you're trying to explain to your audience and give them a certain experience, then it's just going to make you a more credible musician in the long run. So let's get to the end of the chapter where he has a list of his colleagues that he asked to define what teaching artistry is. And then we'll just go through them and talk about what we think. If we agree or disagree or different points that they make that we like. All right. All right. Forgive us for names. This first one is from Tina La Padula from Arts Core Seattle. And she says, quote, A teaching artist is a practicing artist whose teaching is part of that practice. Teaching artists don't necessarily have education degrees, but they might. Teaching artists are role models for lifestyle, discipline, and skill. They pass on an oral and experiential tradition in ways of thinking, seeing, and being. They are educators in the truest sense of the word, the root of the word educate is to draw out. They draw out rather than put in. They are guides, facilitators, bridges to creativity, teaching artists are social activists. End quote. Ooh, okay, so my favorite part of that quote was they draw out rather than put in. I love that. And I feel like I always try to teach that way too. Naturally, I'm trying to just ask them to define things themselves instead of me telling them because, first of all, it's more fun for me to see what they come up with. That's true. I when I'm pra- or when I'm teaching piano lessons, I try to make them come figure to- out what they did wrong instead of or what they did right mm-hmm. instead of me telling them because that's a big part of music as well is that you have to be your own best teacher because I want yes. them to not have to need me one day. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the same idea is that you're pulling something out of whatever the student has already done or is what they already know and it directly involves them in their own education that makes them take responsibility it makes them start to think for themselves especially if they go to like a really big school they don't have to do that and I find like those kinds of students have a hard time coming up with creative answers 
that's also one of the more fun parts of being a teaching artist as opposed to being an educator for say a math class or something you, mm-hmm. there are right and wrong answers in certain classes and you have to you know put in that knowledge of you know history class this is what happened there's no right or wrong it's just this is what happened that's a fact but with exploring your creativity and teaching artists we do get the opportunity to say what do you think and mm-hmm. pull those connections out so and start a conversation and exactly. that's why it's harder for younger kids to even like answer your questions sometimes they'll sit there in silence and I'll just wait until they think of something because they're like oh I'm gonna be wrong but that's not even a thing with yeah. what we do for the most part all right next quote this is from Richard Burroughs Los Angeles Unified School District quote teaching artists are art translators whose primary re- responsibility is to use their own art forms language precepts concepts strategies and processes to translate the personal and collective arts events of the other individuals into a meaningful experience end quote so i like how he says it puts their personal events their personal and individual events into meaningful experiences yeah so that's basically i like that too the end goal the next quote by judith hill quote A teaching artist is a practicing artist who is steeped in, lives in, thinks in an art form, and who has made a substantial commitment to share her artistry with students and teachers in schools. Can I start with what I like about it? Because I know there's something you don't like about it. Yes, okay. Okay, I like that she says who lives in and thinks in an art form. So this can be applied to all the different disciplines we mentioned earlier. So I do like that part of the Mm -hmm. definition. What are you going to say? (laughs) Yeah, I don't like the limitedness of teachers in schools. So yeah, let's not limit ourselves. Yeah. The next one is by Arnold April from Chicago Arts Partnerships in Education. Quote, A teaching artist is an artist who actively engages learners in consciously developing the aesthetics of their own processes for learning. So that sounds complicated when you're reading it. So let's break it down because I love this one. So we have a teaching artist and they actively engage their learners and that's, you know, the whole thing. But they're consciously engaging them so that they can develop the aesthetics for their learners own processes for learning so they're developing a way for their learners to aesthetically process information i got chills right i love that it's so good it's so good that hits the nail on the head but it's not something that you can just you can't just explain to someone you can't spew that out yeah (laughs) but (laughs) But i love it all right arnold Mm -hmm. okay so there's one more and i do like it although it might be another repetitive thing christine goodhart she's an arts learning consultant i need one of those i'm just okay (laughs) get rid of that she's ripping oh no (laughs) (laughs) yeah off script okay quote A teaching artist is an artist who has both extensively engaged in and reflected deeply on the creative, perceptive, and reflective processes inherent in making and viewing works of art, and who has made a commitment to turn this reflection into action by guiding others to make works of art, perceive works of art, and reflect on the connections between art and the rest of life. A teaching artist does not want to shape those they teach in their own image, but support learners to become more of who they are. Ooh. That, I mean, come on. I'm getting, Christine. like, I'm getting revved up talking about this. this how, is... 
how are musicians not always wanting to do this? You know, it just feels... (laughs) Okay, so my favorite part of that is, first you have guiding others to make works of art, which I think is Mm -hmm. where most people, like... That's the blockage. That's it. Well, no, I think that's where most people say... No, wait, like, oh. I'm not going to do this because yes. I can't make art. This, I, I tried to draw not, when I'm I was, just, like, yeah. seven years old and I can't, and so I ne- haven't tried since. But teaching artistry isn't just saying, all right, now you have to be a bassoon player because I'm a bassoon player. Mm-hmm. It's uh, that second part of the quote, which is perceive works of art and reflect on connections between art and life. That's, mm-hmm. I think, the key that um, most musicians aren't, or not most musicians, that's the key to getting the general audience into what we're doing. It, mm-hmm. It's not me going into schools and saying, this is me playing the bassoon. In order to be, in order to appreciate the bassoon, you have to also play the bassoon. Mm-hmm. It's, this is me playing the bassoon, and this is my art, and how can you perceive my art? And then also me going into an art gallery. Like, how can I perceive this art without being an art teacher? How can mm-hmm. I make this artwork relevant to the rest of my life? And how can you do that with your bassoon? Well, that's yeah. what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> exactly. Well, it all ties together. And I just love support learners to become more of who they are. And that's learners of all kinds. That could be our private lesson students. That could be our general audience. This doesn't have to be age-based. Art is enlightening. And of course, we should conclude with Eric Booth's own definition. So I'm just going to read the very last paragraph on page 17 of this chapter. It says, to conclude, let's return to the beginning. Etymologically, the word art comes from an Indo-European root, meaning to put things together. And the word teach comes from the Greek meaning to show. So the term teaching artist is born of two verbs, appropriately, since the work of a teaching artist is more about creation than information, and might be said to mean one who shows how to put things together. Let's put together a new future for music. And that's how he ends the chapter. Isn't that delightful? And I think that's gonna do it for today's episode. Are you good? I'm good.